That's a real joy and privilege for my wife Wynne and myself to be here with you. I have to confess, I do hope that absolution is possible, but I have to confess I'd never heard of the Fellowship of Evangelistic Workers, I'm sorry, before I got the invite. But it's great to be with you. It's great to be in a hall with people committed to evangelism. When I retired from the role of international director of OM, I had many, many things to rejoice in. One thing I was really challenged by, as I looked back on 40 years of sort of rising up the totem pole of leadership in OM, the higher I got, the less evangelism I seemed to do. I spent my life in meetings talking about evangelism. And I was absolutely committed when I retired to get back to the grassroots of evangelism. One of the great privileges I've had the last five years is in prisons. I managed to get uh, prison uh, security clearance for any prison in the UK. And I can go into the prison with the agreement of the chaplain and conduct Christianity Explored courses. So I spend a bit of my life these days in prison voluntarily doing these Christianity Explored courses. Great to be with you. I'm married. I've got uh, Wynne, my wife, three children, and ten grandchildren at the last count. I have been with OM for, um, I think, about 45, 46, maybe 47 years. I joined for a one-year campaign. <laughs> so if ever you are offered this sort of thing in a short-term mission, Look at the small print before you, before you sign. It's been the longest year of my life. So I've really been involved with OM all these years and, and had some involvement with the Keswick Convention as well. So absolutely delighted uh, to be with you. And we're going to look at uh, three studies on the temptations of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to do that under the heading of the testing of the Son of God. So if you have your Bible, you could turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 4. Of course, there are common questions asked whenever you consider the temptations of Christ. One question is, was it possible for Jesus to succumb to temptation? And if not, were his uh, temptations real in, in any sense? And there's a great difference of opinion about that. Some people believe that it enhances the glory of Christ if you say it was possible for him to succumb to temptation. Other people say that's a dreadful suggestion. The Son of God could never succumb to temptation. That would detract from his glory. If you know anything about the history of the brethren, and I think you did that three years ago, did you? If you were here, you'll know that one of the earliest splits in the brethren movement was the group that said he could have sinned and he didn't, and the group that said he couldn't have sinned and he didn't. They both agreed that he didn't, but it's a wonderful thing to divide over, isn't it? Whether he could or whether he couldn't. What does the scripture say? Hebrews 4:15. Jesus was tempted in all points or in every respect as we are, yet without sin or without falling into sin. Other questions would say, how could his temptations be real if in him there was no fallen nature? 
So much of our temptations come from the inner suggestions of our flesh, our old nature, as James puts it. Every person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Jesus had no evil desire. He had no memory, no knowledge of the pleasures of sin. So how could his temptation be real? Again, you can only go to scripture. And uh, again, the epistle to the Hebrews makes it very clear that the temptations of Jesus were not some kind of play acting. They were real and they were extremely intense. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those of us who are being tempted. And I don't think any of us can imagine the suffering, the specific, unique temptations connected to his messianic calling and his divine powers. And of course, again, the epistle to the Hebrews tells us he resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I don't think any of us have ever resisted the temptations of the evil one to that extent. We've all fallen before we've resisted unto blood. But Jesus endured it all. Everything that Satan could throw at him and more he endured unto blood striving against sin. Let's read the passage together. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Following right after the baptism of the Lord Jesus, we read in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Let me read that again and meditate on it as I read it. After the baptism of Jesus, then Jesus was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The Holy Land tour was going well. They arrived in the high uh, desert area, above the Jordan and were encouraged to sit down. The preacher to a guide began. It wasn't a place such as this 
that Jesus would have undergone his temptations. And so I'd like to speak to you about five lessons of handling temptation taken from the example of Jesus. Certainly we can, and I trust we will, in these three sessions, learn something about handling temptation in our lives and in our ministry. But is this what this passage is all about? Is this the heart of what we are to learn from the records we have of the temptations? And the answer to that is certainly not. This passage, in its essence, is messianic. It's a crucial part of the great epic of redemption. And the glorious message of this passage is that the Son of God, the second Adam, won where the first Adam failed. Adam disobeyed God knowing that he was God's son. This is the recapitulation of history. Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. He also succeeded where Israel failed. The true background to this incident is three chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 6 to 8. As we shall see, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, just as Israel was led by the cloud and the fire in the wilderness. Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights in the desert, reminiscent of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. But here is the new Israel of God. Here is the fulfillment of Israel, fulfilling the required obedience where Israel had failed. These were temptations to doubt, to doubt his sonship, temptations to deny his mission, and at all costs to avoid the cross. And the great news this afternoon, and it's probably all the news I need to bring you, we could close at this point. The great news is that Satan failed. Jesus came out of the wilderness triumphant. And we should be forever grateful for this. Without this, there is no salvation. Worship, rejoicing, thanksgiving should be our response this afternoon to the record of the temptations. But I do believe that there are also vital lessons for us in our ministry. So this afternoon I want to start by asking three questions. Number one, are you truly ready, personally and in your ministry, to be led by the Spirit of God? Are you ready for that? Secondly, are you ready for barren times and fruitful times, the ups and the downs in ministry? Are you ready for that? Thirdly, are you ready, if God is calling you, for new steps, steps forward in ministry? If ever our nation needed a hundred or so evangelists who are ready for steps forward, expansion, new steps, 
in ministry. And if ever we needed that today, we need it. Are you ready for that? Three questions. Here's the first one. Are you truly ready to be led by the Holy Spirit? As I pointed out at the beginning, the temptations can never be separated from the baptism of Jesus. In the three gospel records we have of the temptations, that connection is made clear. Here in Matthew we read, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted right after his baptism. Mark, in his much briefer account, after his record of the baptism writes, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Dr. Luke shows the connection by emphasizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan where he'd been baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit, who had descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove at his baptism, now leads him into the wilderness. Jesus is tempted by Satan, but it's the Holy Spirit who leads Jesus into the place of temptation. Forty days of solitude in a wilderness with no food and the devil doing his very best to destroy his ministry is the consequence of Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit. Forty days of solitude in a wilderness with no food with the devil doing the very best to destroy his ministry, is the consequence of Jesus obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So being led by the Holy Spirit, being led in your ministry by the Holy Spirit, does not necessarily equate to success in human terms. It certainly doesn't equate to comfort. It may very often lead to the exact opposite. So often the tough situations in which the Holy Spirit may lead us into are his tools for accomplishing his will, both within us and through us. One of the unique privileges of my life is to preach around the world. And one of the very interesting places to preach these days is in South Korea. If you want to get into a real traffic jam, be in Seoul on a Sunday morning as Christians try to get to church. One church I was preaching in a couple of three years ago, their first service on a Sunday morning was 6.30 a.m. and they had 4,000 people in church. And then 4,000 at 8 o'clock, 4,000 at 10 o'clock, 4,000 at 12 o'clock and they had the afternoon service for the teenagers at 4 o'clock and there were 4,000 teenagers as well. 13% of the Protestant missionary force around the world today is from that church in South Korea. Where did it all begin? Remarkable work of God. Where did it all begin? Well, it began with an American missionary. Soon after his arrival, he disappeared. Never heard from again. Presumed martyred. No doubt he was led by the Holy Spirit 
to the place where he got off the boat. That's the last that was known of him, the place where he got off the boat. It's that very region where this huge work of God, having global impact, began. I'm just reading through the prophecy of Jeremiah. This prophet who was formed in his mother's womb. And before he was formed, the Lord knew him. Before he was born, God set him apart, appointed him a prophet to the nations. And that was the beginning of a ministry of tears, a ministry of weeping, as Jeremiah constantly responded to the voice of the Holy Spirit of God and did his work. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all Christian ministry is unrewarding and you're only called to a life of tears. But I'm certainly saying you cannot be involved in fruitful ministry without tears. And you will not avoid hard times if you're willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to be so careful in the comfort culture of our day when we're constantly being encouraged to pamper ourselves because after all we are worth it, aren't we? We have to be so careful not to take this nonsense to heart and not to take this nonsense into our understanding of Christian ministry. Not only does the Holy Spirit lead us to hard places because blessing flows for others as we press through those hard times, he does it for our good. I can now look back on more than 50 years of Christian ministry. And I look back with a very clear testimony that the hard times have been for me the fast track growth times in my spiritual journey. Many of the Arab countries which I visit, they have a very simple proverb. All sunshine makes a desert. All sunshine makes a desert. We need those dead desert times in our lives. And God knows just how much wilderness, just how much storm, just how much lush valley, just how much sunshine we need to make us the people, the servants of God that he wants us to be. The message of the temptations is trust me in the desert. Jesus did. He trusted his father. He trusted his father's word for those desert days where Israel utterly failed, utterly failed to trust God, utterly failed to trust his word. Jesus was victorious. One of the wonderful verses I've been looking at in Jeremiah is in chapter 17 and verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not 
fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to fruit. Wow. Are you ready to be led by the Holy Spirit? Second question. Are you ready for the ups and downs? The wonderful times? The desert times? The timing of these temptations reveal two further important lessons for us. Matthew suggests that Satan began his temptations at the end of these 40 days and nights. Mark and Dr. Luke tell us that he was tempted throughout. Well, either way, these temptations happened immediately, as we've seen, after a joyous time of affirmation at his baptism. A joyous time of affirmation and at a time when he was at his most vulnerable. Six weeks, that's 42 days, the medics tell us, is about the limit a healthy man can go without food before the possibility of doing permanent damage to himself. 42 days. It's after 40 days without food that Satan comes. And Jesus, though divine, is thoroughly human. And after 40 days, it's recorded, he's famished. Can you imagine the emotions? The potential for vulnerability at this time. The baptism must have been a wonderful, affirming experience for the Son of God. Before his baptism, John had prophetically declared, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After that prophetic message, John baptizes Jesus. It's confirmation of his ministry. It's confirmation of his call. And then heaven itself opens. And God himself speaks. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. It's affirmation of his person. It's affirmation of his identity. It's affirmation of his call. And then immediately into the wilderness. William Hendrickson comments, Is it not reasonable to believe that the Lord used these 40 days to prepare himself? Prepare himself for his ministry by prayer and by meditation. Michael Green writes, The temptations came after this huge, high spiritual experience. Right after the Apostle Peter declared, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What a wonderful moment that must have been for Simon Peter. But in moments, he's flat on his face in defeat. Jesus has been explaining his coming suffering and death. And you'll recall Peter's response, never, Lord. That's never going to happen to you. And Jesus remonstrates with this man whom he's just affirmed so strongly. 
Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. From someone who has received special revelation from God to an instrument of Satan in the blink of an eye. We need to know how to handle good times. We need to know how to handle prosperity in our ministry. I could mention other cases, of course, in scripture very similar to Peter. Take Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, running away from one woman, praying a suicidal prayer, 1 Kings 19. Handling success in Christian ministry. Handling the seasons of blessing and fruitfulness. Satan is so subtle. And if we're not very careful in our moment of apparent success, we get our eyes, we get our dependence off the Lord and on to that success, on to ourselves. Forty years of Christian ministry would certainly say to me, times of prosperity, times of fruitfulness in Christian ministry are much harder to handle than times of adversity. We also need to know those sessions, or those seasons, sorry, those times, those places where we are at our weakest point. If you're going to survive the marathon of ministry, you're going to know how to handle those times where you're at your most vulnerable, your most weak. We all have them. It's vital to recognize them and to put defenses around them. I mentor 11 younger leaders. And one of the younger leaders I mentor has had a lifelong struggle with pornography. And he continues to have that struggle. He knows when that battle is most likely to hit him. It's Monday morning. His wife goes off to work on Monday morning. The house is empty. He goes into his study. He switches on the computer and he has a decision to make. And one of the agreements we have is that from time to time on a Monday morning, I'll just ring him about 9.30 and say, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? We need to know those points where we're most vulnerable in ministry, in life. And we need to put godly defenses around those points. Satan's timing is immaculate. These temptations come after this high spiritual moment and a time of maximum vulnerability and potential weakness. Are you ready for the ups and the downs of ministry? Third question. Are you ready to take new steps in ministry? Steps forward. As we look at the temptations as a whole, they clearly come at the beginning of his public ministry. The word translated tempt here, according to those who know the biblical language, is far better than I do, means primarily a testing of the partner in a covenant to see whether he is keeping his side of the agreement. The father, of course, had said to the son in the covenant of redemption, Ask of me, 
And I will give you the nations as your inheritance. I'll do it. I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The ends of the earth will be your possession. As uh, tomorrow and Wednesday we'll look specifically at the individual temptations, you'll see that Satan is offering an easy road. He's offering that he can possess and rule all the kingdoms of the world and the glory and splendor of those kingdoms. The father is testing the son at the beginning of his ministry. Will Jesus trust his father to faithfully, lovingly keep those promises? Will the father honor his obligations within the covenant? Will Jesus honor his obligations? Or will he grab the opportunity that Satan is offering? Calvin, in his commentary on Matthew, writes that in the wilderness, Jesus underwent an apprenticeship before he undertook an office so awesome and exacting. You can think of others, of course. You can think of Moses at the burning bush. You can see Paul on his retreat in Arabia. Almost inevitably, at the beginning of a new ministry, or at a time of growth and expansion in ministry, you will face a test similar to this. Will we trust him who has led us to this point? The ministry we're involved in may be going through the equivalent of a 40 days and 40 nights of testing. And Satan comes with his quick fixes, his uh, get-out-of-jail cards. It was the middle of my time of leadership in Operation Mobilization. We were expanding rapidly and had some financial challenges. And along with many other Christian organizations, such as the Billy Graham Organization and many other organizations, we heard of New Era Finance or New Era Philanthropy, it was called. An American uh, charity, we were told. And if you put a million pounds into this uh, fund, you would get a huge um, payout 12 months later. And we fell for it. It was a Ponzi scheme. And uh, but for... Uh, a wonderful Christian lawyer and the fact that the Christian organizations who got involved worked together and didn't appoint their own lawyers. We all appointed one lawyer. We managed to get out of it with about 95% of what we put in. Interestingly, the brother who did this went to jail and he was a wonderful witness in jail. Wonderful Christian witness. I think he himself was deceived by what he was seeking to do. Think of the very beginning of the global missionary movement. Here's Paul's first missionary journey, Acts 13, verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer by Jesus, Elimar the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul Sergius Paulus from the faith. 
at the very beginning of this new ministry venture, the very beginning of the global spread of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas' calling is tested as they stand toe to toe against demonic, deceptive powers. If you're commencing a new ministry, developing from where you are, and from time to time throughout our ministry, don't be surprised if God tests your calling. Are you prepared to believe that he will faithfully fulfill his promises? Are you prepared to believe he will continue to lead, continue to provide, even if you take that new step forward? What a test Abraham faced as he lay Isaac on the altar. A child of promise on whom all his hopes were based. And based on the promises of God. Now, unbelievably, he's being asked to sacrifice this child as a burnt offering. And he goes ahead. And we know from Hebrews 11 the conviction that Abram had as he laid his son on that altar. Hebrews 11:17. By faith, Abram, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, he who had embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. How could he do that? Well, the writer continues, Abraham reasoned that God would even raise the dead. In other words, Abraham believed in the midst of an almost impossible situation where he appeared to be giving up all that God had called him to and all that God had promised. He still believed. He embraced the promises. He believed that God would provide. And that, brothers and sisters, is the fundamental test for Jesus in the wilderness. Will you keep your part of the covenant? Will you trust me? Will you trust my plan for you? Or are you going to grab Satan's quick fix? Are you going to take matters into your own hands rather than trust me in the desert? That was the challenge for Israel in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years. Why? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep my commandments. And this so often is the challenge for us in ministry. Are we going to trust him? Trust him in times of success and fruitfulness. Or will we in such moments begin to rely upon and rejoice in our own success? You can be sure it will be the devil's intention to get you to do just that. Moments of fruitfulness, moments of success. If we don't know how to handle them, we'll be like Peter, flat on our face in defeat. And what about the wilderness? When the equivalent of those 40 days and nights comes my way or your way, are you going to look for the quick fix? Are you going to take matters into your own hands? 
Or are we going to keep our side of the covenant? The God who has called us and led us will not forsake us. That's the message of the temptations. Trust him in the wilderness. Let's pray. Remember those three questions? Are you ready? Truly ready to be led by the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for the ups, the downs, the fruitfulness, the deserts of ministry? Are you ready if God is calling you and leading you for a new step forward in ministry? Lord, we celebrate this afternoon the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came from that desert of temptation as pure and as holy as the moment he entered it. And he won that victory for us. We share in the victory over Satan. We share in the victory of the cross. We share in the victory of the resurrection. We share in the victory of the ascension and glorification of our Lord Jesus. We embrace that together this afternoon. We want to live in the good of that. And Lord, as Satan comes from every possible direction to bring us to our knees in failure, we want to hold on to our side of the covenant. We want to embrace you, embrace your promises. Keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh Lord Jesus, help me please, Lord. Help my brothers and my sisters bow before you now for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.